Right, okay. Um, The first reading is Galatians chapter 6. It's actually on page uh, 1172 of the Bibles where you are, but I'm actually going to read from the message because if you read the NIV version, it's just like a list and it doesn't doesn't sound very good when you read it out loud. This is fun. The message is quite fun. So it's Galatians chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Um, it's entitled, Nothing But the Cross. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. If you think you're too good for that, you're badly deceived. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and, si- and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Be very sure now, you who have been trained to a self-sufficient maturity, that you enter into a generous common life with those who have trained you, sharing all the good things that you have and experience. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, Ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good, At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the good of all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And the second bit is John chapter 13, which is um, page 1082 on the Bibles. You've got, it's only a verse, but by the time I read it, uh, you won't have found it by the time I read it. It's John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, uh, page 1082. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. <laughs> For a minute there, I thought Rob was getting very, very Catholic almost in bringing the the whole like gospel to the centre of the church. That would have been very impressive. We'd have thought we were in another parish, but never mind. Some of us might enjoy that. But but yeah, that's very good. Why don't we pray together? So gracious God, now as we look at this passage from both these passages, Lord, would you show us your ways? Would you teach us your paths? 
Would you guide us and teach us, for you are God our Saviour, and our hope is in you all day long. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we'll need that, that nice page 1172 in a minute. Remember, we're in the middle of three Sundays. The three Sundays that we're looking at is that we're trying to look at, at three practices that we can go better at, if you like, go stronger at, go deeper at, if you like, in our church life. And they're quite simple to remember. They're prayer, they're care, and they're share. And we're talking each week about what each one of them means. And they're easy to remember because they all remind. They all, if you like, rhyme together. And so last week we looked at, at, at prayer. And this week we're going to look at the word care. Because as, we said, as I started to say last week, um, Jesus gave three commands to every church. Doesn't matter wherever that church is in the world, whatever denomination, whether it worships in a building like this or it doesn't have a building at all, he gave three commands. The three commands were to love God with all of your being, to love one another or to love your neighbor as yourself, and to love people who don't know Jesus. Those are the, if you like, the three commands to, to every church. And so this week we're in the middle of the, we're in the middle one. What does it mean to, to love one another. And we're going to think about that in terms of the word care. And as we think about that, I want us to think about the world in which we, we live in uh, at, at this present time. And think about whether it's a world that is a community or whether it's a world that is, that is more individualistic. Because we live in a world, when we think about it, where we can keep in touch with more people, in theory, easier than, than ever before. Yet you don't need to hear from me. You can talk to the psychiatrist. You can talk to the sociologist who will tell us that people are more lonely, that they're more isolated, and the, the associated issues of mental health that come with that are there. And it's not a new thing. Because this year we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of the death, uh, well we shouldn't really celebrate it, well it, it's something to remember, the 20th anniversary of the death of Mother Teresa. And she said that loneliness is the leprosy of modern society. If you think about it in terms of words that George Gallup said, people today are the loneliest ever. And of course, that has all that's happened in the past 20 years is that's just been exacerbated. Because we now far more kind of live according to this. Or whatever is your preference. And we do this and we, we kind of look at a screen. And this, this kind of promised us that the people who are far away would be nearer. And yet actually, that isn't the case. But we often, for many people in our community, they measure their friendships based upon, well, how many people are following me? How many friends have I got? How many likes have I got on the picture? You see, each of us, when we think about it, have two powerful emotions that run through us. Those two powerful emotions are these, connection and achievement. They're both important to us and they're both good. But when we, when we sacrifice sometimes one at the expense of the other, 
Or when we put too much emphasis on one, it can kind of become a bit like an idol. A good thing becomes a God thing. And for many people, all that we do is we try to achieve more and more in whatever walk of life we're in, and some of the connections get broken. And of course, the thing is, is that we can listen to the sociologists, we can listen to the psychiatrists that will say loneliness is not good. And we can also listen to God. Because God said it however many thousands of years ago. Because if you think about, if you like, before the fall of humanity, what was not good? And if you read Genesis 2, you'll find that it said that God said it is not good for man to be alone. And so therefore, we have this thing that at the heart of God is community. Because God is a, is, is a relational being. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What does God say in Genesis 1? Let us create humanity in our image. Not in my image. The images are always plural. Think about all those images that we get of the Trinity, of how God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit relates to one another in the Bible. So if at the heart of God is community, then at the heart of Jesus' body today should be community. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want to give you one principle, I want to give you one word, and I want to give you four practices that we can all go away with and practice to show what it means to be a community. And so here's the principle. The principle comes from Galatians 6 verses 1 to 10, which is, and a bit before, which is why we need to look at it. And, and here is the principle of what biblical community is, is, is actually based upon. And it's based upon this principle. Mutual accountability to each other and personal responsibility to God. That's the, that's the principle, if you see, that's interweaved and that runs through these various different issues that are coming up in the church. And if you've, if you've never studied a letter before in Paul, or you've suddenly thought, well, that seemed a bit of a random list of things that came up. Why was that? You see, when Paul wrote these letters, he was addressing issues. He was addressing issues that were relevant to that church in Galatia at that particular time. And he was saying, well, listen, this issue's come up, so let me show you how to, how to deal with it. Now, we might not have those issues today, or our issues might be different, but the principle still applies. Mutual accountability to each other and personal responsibility to God. So here's how it works out. Let's just look at it in verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. That's the mutual accountability. So this is, this is the issue, if you like, before them. There's been this person in the church, probably a man, basically, who's basically had some sort of what we would describe today as fall from grace. Basically, he's made a mistake, he's done something stupid, basically, and it's affected the whole church. And the church has then got to decide, right, how do we deal with this? 
Now, of course, some church traditions, if you think about them today, they'd just expel them. Of course, if you think about it in the Anglican church, it's very hard to expel anyone from the Anglican church. It really is, basically. Very, very difficult. And so Paul gives them some guidelines as to what should happen. So the mutual accountability is, is that it's left to the people in the church who are living by the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, let's just turn over the previous page to verse, to verse 25, actually. And it says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So if we want to know what does it mean to live by the Spirit, Paul just outlines it. He talks about it in verse 13. Look at it. If we look at it in verses 13 to 26 of Galatians chapter 5, and he says, as a Christian, there are two ways to live. Once you become a Christian, there are two ways to live. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in your life, and the ideal is that we live with the Holy Spirit, partnering with him all the time. But of course, you don't need to be a Christian very long to know that you've still got all this, what is described here as the fleshly nature or the sins of the flesh that are still kind of, kind of impacting upon our lives and so on from there. And as a Christian, you have to live with this tension of kind of crucifying the flesh and living with, with the Spirit. And so Paul just starts to outline and says, listen, When it comes to loving your neighbor as yourself, in verse 14, there are things that you can do that will stop building community. And those things are, are, if you like, sins of the flesh, sins of the sinful nature. And you've got the list there. The list is in verse 19 and 20 and and, and 21. It's not just a random list because they're grouped together. Look at the English. Look at how it's structured, and you'll see that there's semicolons and there's commas. So there's a list there coming out. So the, so the, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. So they come, into se- they come into sexual sins first. And so there's sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. Therefore, someone who lives in step with the Holy Spirit... That was all in the previous life. Or it might not have even been in the previous life at all, but it's not a life in step with the Holy Spirit. Then there comes, after that, the religious sins, the idolatry and the witchcraft. Well, that's the stuff that might have been in the former life or it might not have been, but it's not a life characterized by keeping in step with the Spirit. Then there are the the social sins, the hatred, the discord, the jealousy, the fits of rage, the selfish ambition, the dissensions, the factions, and, and envy. Well, that were, they were, might have been in the former life, or they might not have been at all, but that's not what it means to live in step with the Holy Spirit. And then there are the drinking sins, aren't there? The drunkenness, the orgies, and the like. That's the life of the flesh, not a life keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. And then Paul talks about, well, this is what the life of the Holy Spirit is like. These very famous words. It's a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so just because we might think, oh, well, I'm quite all right. I'm not doing too bad on those fleshly sins. 
He then starts to talk about there are actually sins of the Spirit as well. They're the very antithesis of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, because we can do them. And actually, if we think about Jesus' words for a minute, when Jesus walked on this earth, actually, he had more to say about people who committed sins of the Spirit rather than sins of the flesh. Because the people who committed sins of the flesh knew that they were just, often in many cases, they knew they needed to repent. And often the people who were committing the sins of the Spirit, people like the Pharisees, were just blind to it. So we have this sort of like mutual accountability in verse 1. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But here's the personal responsibility. Because he then says, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Because it can be very easy if you're trying to restore someone after they've faced a particular issue. It can be very easy to become tempted in that yourself. It can become very easy. Or, as we'll see in the next one, here's the next one, mutual accountability. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Because as individual people, we're not Jesus. As a community, we're Jesus. We're the body of Christ. And each one of us has a part to play in that. We all have a part to care for one another. It's what we're called to be, all of us. What that means, therefore, is this, doesn't it? If we're all a body and we're all called to care for one another, it actually means that it's everyone's responsibility rather than just one person or, or two people. But also what it means as well is that pastoral care isn't about going to see someone when they're in need. Caring for someone is caring for everyone, irrespective of, of their circumstances. You know, in verse 10, what is it saying? Galatians 10. Do good to everyone, care for everyone, especially the family of believers. You see, some of us will, will, will still remember the time when priests were trained in a certain way that the structure of their days and what they were taught for centuries was that in the morning you spent, well, you spent all your morning studying this book. And then in the afternoon, you went out and you visited people. And then in the evenings, you might have had some church meetings, but that was the day. And that was how priests were trained for centuries. No priest is trained like that today because the world has changed. And a priest is trained in exactly the, the way that I've just outlined to you there, that it's everybody's responsibility to care for one another. Everybody's. That's the mutual accountability. We're all there. It's everyone's responsibility. And it doesn't just, ma it doesn't just occur with people who might be in need, with people who might be in crisis, is we'll look, and when we look at some of the practices in the Word, we'll see it's got to do with everything. But then when he says, carry each other's burdens in verse 2, here's the personal responsibility. 
Each of you should test your own actions. Then you can take pride in yourself without comparing yourself to someone else. For each of you should, should carry your own load. So we're always testing our own actions. We're always testing why we're doing it. We're always making sure that in anything that we do, hey, I'm not falling into pride here, am I? I'm not going to be succumbing to something here, am I? Or I'm not thinking that I'm more superior to somebody else, am I? And then you've got the mutual accountability as it flows out again in, in verse 6. Nevertheless, those who receive instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Almost it's saying the opposite, isn't it, of what priests were trained. The, the priest's job is to just care for the congregation. Actually, it's saying the other way around. And then you have, once more, in verses 7 and 8, the personal responsibility. Because, listen, each of us is responsible for what we saw. All of us. And we will reap what we saw. And that, therefore, has a time where, at one stage, that will come. You can see from the language, it's, at some stage, each of us. Each of us will stand, whether it's after we've died, or whether... We, we sort of like are still alive when Jesus comes again. Each of us will give that account to Jesus of what we've done if we're a Christian after our conversion. Of what have we sowed and what have we, what have we reaped. And therefore, and then it finishes off with the mutual accountability, with the reminder again to the church, let us not become weary in doing good for the proper time. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So that's the principle. Mutual accountability to one another, personal responsibility to God. Here's the word. The word is paraklesis. It's a Greek word. It comes from two words, para and kaleo, basically. Para means alongside. Kaleo means to call or to come. Whenever you start looking at what it means to care in the New Testament, it comes back in the main to this one Greek word. It's actually used 140 times in the New Testament. So it's a pretty important word if it's used 140 times in the whole of the New Testament. It means to come alongside. And actually, I don't have the time to, to run through where that would be, but you can, you can find that out for yourself. You could just Google paraclesis. Or actually, one of the better things you can do is there's a book on the bookstall over there, well, just on the table there, called Paraclesis. It's a very simple book, a very practical book of six steps that you could take, all of us could take as a church, and it gives us opportunities, very simple things of putting into practice what Paraclesis means, and it virtually goes through all the different references, but to give you a picture of what Paraclesis means. In one hand, it means to comfort, so to comfort someone, when they might be going through a difficult time. It also, though, means to entreat. Which, if you don't know what the word entreat means, it means plead. If you want the image there of what that means, if you know the story of the lost son, it's what the father does with the older son when he's pleading with the older son to kind of say, listen, forgive, 
It's almost that urging. That's what it means, pleading. It also means to encourage. But what it means to encourage is this. If you look at when the word encourage is used in the New Testament, like we looked at last time a few months ago, and you get this encouragement. What is the encouragement about? Well, the encouragement is not to sin. The encouragement is to keep living a life as a Christian. That's when you look at what the words encouragement are. So you start to get a picture that paraclesis isn't just about comforting those people in need. It's also about encouraging people, encouraging people to keep going on in their faith, irrespective of of where they are, or encouraging people and saying, listen, I can see what's going on in your life at the moment, and I can see there are some things that you might just be tempted to do. And I don't think that's a good idea. And this is why I don't think that's a good idea, basically. So that's the, that's the word. And the final thing I want to leave you with is four practices. And this is where the, the bookmark comes in. Because this is no good if this is just a set of principles. And we don't then have something to follow. Because if you like, culture is only created by practices. If you like, the behaviors that we all adopt only occur through practices. And as I said last week, and this is so true, the practices that you adopt when life is okay is the practices that you follow when life goes into crisis. This is what happens. And so there are four here. They're like the acrostic, like the prayer one last week, like I pray. So if you didn't get that one last week, then it's on the table. This is it. So it's quite simple. I've just used them. Listen, these are my four, basically. If you could think of better ones, use them and come and tell me. I'm quite happy, basically. These are just one, if you like, person's thoughts. So if you can think of something better and say, actually, this would work really, really better, Ian. Why don't you do that instead? Then that's absolutely fine. So here's the first one, connect. Connect because we're created for community. So here's the thing. Over this summertime, maybe just think about the next couple of months, basically. You'll be aware for some of it. Some of you will be, but not all of you will be. Have a meal. Invite someone round. Or invite a couple of people round, or three people round. And particularly invite people round who you don't know. You know, I'll tell you a story, basically, where I was a curate. It was a church size roughly the size of this, and a congregation roughly the size of this. And, and as a curate, I'd been there a few months, and there was a guy whose name I'd forgotten, or might have been mentioned, and I didn't want to go up and ask him what his name was. So I went and asked someone who'd been in the church about four years, and I said, what's that guy called? He said, I don't know. And so it's a thing, connect, invite some people around for me. Why do you do that? Why do you do that? Because you break down barriers. You start to connect. It's a simple thing to do. Here's the air, appreciate. Here's a specific appreciate. Write a card to a church member thanking them for where they serve in our church. This is a simple one. And people appreciate it. People appreciate it because I know someone in our church who told me that they'd had some cards from someone recently from our church, thanking them for something and how much they appreciated it. It's a simple thing. Here's the R, remember. 
Remember whenever you walk through this door, if you're on the electoral roll, remember when you walk into this building, you're a host and not a guest. Think about that mindset for a minute. You see, if you're a host and you welcome somebody into your home, what happens? Well, actually, you don't talk about certain things, do you? Because they won't know what the conversation is about. You'll always look out for them and you'll think, right, are they all right? Sometimes it'll be, well, have they got enough, sort of like, well, something to drink, or that sort of thing. You're always looking at the person to make sure, am I welcoming them properly? If we think like a host as a church, it changes everything. If, you, if we think about it, sort of like, sometimes we just have manic mornings, don't we? Sometimes we just have manic mornings, but actually, if we think about it, if we're a host, we never turn up late, do we? If we think about this for a minute, and we say, yeah, come round for a meal, come round at 7.30, we don't turn up at 25 to 8, do we? It just doesn't happen. And we have to think all the time as a host. If we're a member of the electoral role, think always like for people who are, who are something. Like, because God always brings people to this church. Some of us, some of the times we've invited them, but God will always bring people and we will have no idea. And it's just about thinking. And then here's the last one, E, encourage. Because why do we encourage? There's a great verse here. Jonathan found David and helped him to find strength in God. You know, if you don't know the story there, the story's quite simple. David and Jonathan, it's one of the strongest friendships in the Bible. And Jonathan, if you don't know the story, Jonathan's dad was King Saul. And King Saul saw David as a threat, and so he tried to kill him. And so it meant their close friendship had to be broken a bit. Because they couldn't live close to each other. And David had to go into hiding. And the story is about how King Saul chases David all through the Judean desert. And he never finds him. Sometimes David actually lets him go. On other occasions, sort of like he's looking for him. And David's somewhere else. But we read at one time, Jonathan knew where David was. And we read that he went... And he helped him to find strength in God. Because that's what it means to care. Because at the end of the day, this is why we do this, isn't it? It's the words of that gospel. On the night before Jesus died, when he said this, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, all people, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And this is why, when we think about it, the early church grew and changed the world. For no other reason than this one word, love. Because if you read the ancient historian Tertullian, who wasn't a Christian at first, it was so strong for him that he saw this love that they had for one another, that, that he was compelled to change. He was compelled to become a Christ follower. In fact, if you think about the Roman culture, which was the antithesis of love, it was all about hate. It was all about brutality. They were so scared about Christians that what they used to do was they used to send spies into the churches. And the Romans used to get really frustrated by the spies because the spies all came out and they were all changed. And they were all changed because all they could just talk about was see how they love one another. They just took Jesus' words. And so principle, 
Mutual accountability to one another, personal responsibility to God. A word, paraclesis, to come alongside one another. And four practices to help us to follow as to what it means to be a biblically caring community. Let us pray. Gracious God, you are good. And you care for us. And you love us. Because at the heart of who you are is community. And you desire us as your body to be that body that cares for one another. So help us to be that people that you call us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.